song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibbs. And this is how wrestling explains. We are bringing the heat today, Dave. Can you dig that, sucker? Sorry, I'm I'm very excited. This is an exciting episode today, Dave. Yeah, this is the uh, the arrival of our much anticipated, much uh, talked about, much tweeted about Booker T episode. We've we've really been looking forward to doing this one since we started the show. Uh, you in particular, and with his. Uh, with his double induction or his second induction into the WWE Hall of Fame, this is just like the perfect time to do it, WrestleMania week. Yeah, he is one of my absolute favorite performers ever. I just watching these matches, watching him spin gold out of just, I mean, complete dog shit is one of my favorite things to do as a wrestling fan. Really, like he, anybody that knows me knows how much I love Booker T. Uh, I This is... I'm sincerely excited about this. Uh, we have a bunch of... We're going to mix it up a little bit just because there's just too much Booker T greatness to talk about, to be honest, in a regular episode. So we're actually going to split it over... Normally we do a regular episode and then an essential viewings. We're going to kind of mix them together because the WCW portion of his career, the first half, is so much different and better, to be honest. Uh, or more... Uh, more exciting to talk about uh, for the most part uh, than the second half of his career. Not that it was bad, but there's a lot of real, like, spectacular performances from him. And just in general, what he meant to WCW relative to every other company is kind of incredible. Booker really had that gift where he stood head and shoulders above everybody, even, like, when he was in the mid-card, low mid-card, mid-mid-card, barely on the show. He was someone who you could tell was like really, really talented and was a really good wrestler and was only going to get better at a time in WCW where a lot of the wrestlers felt like they were either stagnant or kind of trending downward. Like he was someone you could really get behind who was on an upward trajectory and like you, you could believe in Booker T. He was just like a transcendent figure in WCW in that way. Reminds me, I keep on thinking about Adrian Beltre, where is he, Booker T may not be an all-time, all-time pantheon, uh, inner circle great necessarily, though I don't think that's his fault. I think talent-wise he was right there. But he is on that level of like unequivocally great. And like there, he is beyond reproach in terms of his accomplishments and in terms of his just like actual performance. He was an incredibly talented performer that really got a lot, if not all, because I think of the way he was booked, especially when he left WCW, that prevented him from being at the Triple H level. But I think he was just as talented to just Triple H. Uh, are you in agreement or do you think I may be overselling Booker T a little bit? No, I think he really is an all-around performer where like he has the look. He's a very good athletic wrestler with good timing. He's got, you know, good facial expressions. He has like a defined character. People understand kind of who he is. Um, you know, he can cut a promo as that character. He really is a, just like an all-around wrestler and someone who like when we've talked about, I don't know, Jeff Jarrett or other people in the past, he had that gift of really top to bottom, small guy, little guy, whatever style they were. He was someone who could wrestle anybody on the show and, and have a good match. And I think that's at least partially because of how he was brought up through the business. Now, uh, you know his beginning uh, the beginnings of his career a little bit better than I do. Uh, he was in a global wrestling something or other, right? Yeah, yeah, he was in the Herb Abrams uh, Global Wrestling Federation. They were a daily, like, Monday through Friday afternoon show on ESPN for a couple of years. And um, there there was a number of, of young guys who came up through that, like most famously X-Pac, uh, who's also going to the Hall of Fame this year, uh, really got his start on TV in Global. Um, Jerry Lynn, uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Del Wilkes became the Patriot on, on Global. But uh, Harlem Heat were there as the Ebony Express, so... Uh, Booker and Stevie, and and they were multi-time uh, tag champs there. So they kind of broke into the almost kind of the last territory in in some regards, and they definitely got a lot of experience early in their careers. Because as you can imagine, when you have you know a daily television show, there's going to be like marathon tapings. You're going to be putting together a lot of matches in a short period of time. So he almost got like a condensed pressure cooker territory experience at like just the very tail end of that era in the early 90s so we're gonna make some fun of stevie ray 
during this show. But uh, we didn't come here to bury Stevie Ray. We came to uh, damn him with fate praise. And I think you have to, to appreciate Booker T, you do have to understand that he is enhanced in a lot of ways by Stevie Ray. And not just in the sense that he's made to look so good by Stevie Ray. But I think it's really important to understand that those two actual brothers had a kind of chemistry that's really hard to get unless you have, like, a familial connection or you're just lucky enough to be on the same wavelength in a way that just doesn't happen a lot. Like, really, it's a Matt Hardy, Matt and Jeff Hardy level of connection. I don't think that's a coincidence where they kind of work together because their personalities aren't exact opposites but they kind of fit together because that's what happens when you're somebody i mean we're both only children but like i grew up with a quasi brother and like i know the ways in which our growing up together made us so that we had to have complementary personalities instead of having just like these opposite personalities and i think you really see that in both the promos and the work they do in the ring they fit together very nicely i think one thing the booker always says is that like Early in the game, it was really Stevie whose dream it was to be a wrestler. And like Booker was just there with him. And, you know, maybe it was Stevie who had more of the passion early on. And, and Booker was down to, you know, do it with his brother and to be there because they were, you know, he could get better work as a tag team or whatever. But like, but, but Stevie was uh, important to kind of helping Booker transition into the business. And I don't think you ever have, you know, main event Booker T in the WWF or WWE rather, uh, if, you know, if his brother isn't Stevie Ray, like Stevie Ray is a pivotal figure in the career of Booker, not just like, oh yeah, when he was young, he started with his brother because that's what you do. Like it wasn't that story at all. Like Stevie is an essential part of Booker's trajectory. Yeah, and I think the other person that's uh, equally important, I would say, uh, in terms of the trajectory, maybe not in terms of the heights he reached, but like how quickly he was able to get there, it's Sensational Sherry, who we've talked about. We gave her her own uh, pair of episodes, uh, one of our absolute favorites. And you can really tell the ways in which she helped develop them by just being good at her job as a manager, just like, a, again, to use a, sport analogy, a sports analogy, she's just a great veteran to have on your team who tells you what to watch out for and how to lay off and then build back up the heat. Uh, there's there's a lot of really great moments when you see them managing, uh, being managed by her. She actually manages them in a way that, again, is not something you really see, but she clearly had a special relationship with them and uh, they've said it. They wish she was there to go in with them. Uh, she's also a two-time uh, inductee. She's one of the all-time greats. And to have her be mixed uh, mixed in with Harlem Heat at the time she was, and they were coming into the, the company, uh, is really crucial to understanding why Booker T became a world champion. Is because he learned both how to work physically in the ring with someone uh, with Stevie Ray and, and was able to learn a lot of psychology, I think from Stevie Ray, because Stevie Ray actually had decent psychology uh, in a way that Booker T was maybe more of a, like the athletic part of the tag team uh, at the point when they first started. And I feel like Sherry also gave him an understanding of the psychology of how to interact with the fans uh, and really get them going in a way that allowed you to control the pace of the match. Uh, she's one of the best ever at that in terms of interacting with the crowd. Uh, really couldn't have had two better people, for one for him specifically in Stevie Ray, and one just in general in Sensational Sherry. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the special relationship that, that Sherry really had with them and what a mark she made. I think this is just kind of a silly example but one of the great examples of that is the, the promo where Booker T calls Hulk Hogan the N-word. Uh, he says it and he just turns his head like away from the camera and clearly looks at her. And she instantly, you can see she kind of chuckles, but she is immediately transitioning into like trying to comfort him and being like, no, 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 it's all right. Like, look at the camera. We just got to like finish and get out of here or whatever. Like you can see so much of, 
of what a mentor and guide she was to them, even in that just kind of like silly, famous blooper moment. Yeah, she's a steady hand when for two guys that maybe needed it. That division was such a shit show. To have someone who like was a, to have someone that was an important person in the company and on the card and respected by everybody was really important for them, I think, to not fall to the wayside a lot, like a lot of tag teams and singles competitors during that time did because the company was so uh, fakakta. They really were able to uh, use her as a way to understand what makes sense in a place that works and what doesn't. And I think avoid a lot of the pitfalls that they may have fallen into, if not for someone like Sensationalist Harry, who was like, I've been in main events of major shows. I've been in the main program for an entire year at in WWF. Like, I know what's up. I know how to do this. Yeah, you know, after, like, the Dangerous Alliance and the Hollywood Blondes, there is a period where when you go back and watch the WCW televisions or the pay-per-views, there is a lot of really boring tag team wrestling going on in the mid nineties, like on those shows, just really long matches where like nominally good performers who just, just like not really delivering a lot of excitement. And I think that like Harlem heat were one of the exceptions to that. And as you say, I think that, that, Sherry was a big part of the seasoning that made that just her mastery of cornering and of crowd psychology. And as we talked about in the Sherry episode, like her experience on TV and, you know, her as the indicator of status and stuff like really meant a lot to them. But I agree. I mean, that that point in WCW history, there's there's just a lot of meat in the ring in a lot of those tag matches. You know what I mean? And they're, they're not the most beautiful, beautifully executed things like say what you will about. Hollywood Blondes versus like Shane Douglas and Ricky Steamboat. Like those matches are long and maybe they're kind of overly smooth and they don't hang up to today's style, but they are like objectively so much better than like, and I, I'm not diminishing either of these two guys. Cause like I said, nominally good talent, really great guys who could both kill me, but like Haku and the Barbarian against like whoever, like Haku and the Barbarian against the Road Warriors in the mid-90s in WCW, as good as that match sounds, would just be awful, would just be 12 minutes of awful, you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, having watched a lot of the mid-90s. There is a certain, none, I think I said this uh, to you, WCW was like the Adam Dunn of professional wrestling, where it's like, it was either a home run or just the most boring fucking at bat you have ever seen. Just like, all right, are you going to swing at anything other than the pitch down low in the zone? No? All right, cool. Sounds good. Like, I guess we'll just sit here until you strike out or walk. Great. Like, that's what it was like watching WCW for pretty much ever. But in particular, that like early 90s, early to mid 90s where they had a lot of talent and didn't know dick all to what to do with it it's just like you're like booker t is really one of the bright spots every time he comes on camera uh, and we uh, we actually talked about well, we're skipping a little bit ahead um we actually talked about uh, time wise anyways um because we're going to circle back to one of maybe the best matches of this era in terms of tag teams, but uh, a less great match, but uh, one where you really get to see Booker T do his stuff uh, was during the World War Three match we talked about during the Sherry episode. Uh, Booker T's ability to, again, spin, like, not absolute dog shit, but, like, regular crap into gold during this match. Like, it's a goofy match that he really makes feel... Like, it matters because Booker T is in it in a way that I think helps buoy the entire thing until that spectacular ending ending we talked about where uh, they climb, they build, like, a a fort out of shit under the ring and jump, like, 15 feet in the air and miss. And Booker T comes in and does, like, a perfect Harlem hangover and ends the match. And it's like, you are expecting, if you make a mistake like that, Booker T is going to get you. And, like... I think that's really you can see it. You can see it earlier on too. That Booker T is the real star, one of the real star, young stars, young talents in the company in a match like that because he's just so athletic and so much better than the decent stuff around him. That he just his win over replacement 
was just like off the charts at this point. And it's in simpler matches, goofier matches like that, where I think you really do get to see what makes him special. Like we said, he stands out in every match he's ever been in. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right to say that like, while that's a great match, he really is all the juice. Like, now that Jeff Jarrett is consensus good, everybody's come around on him, I have to pick like new favorites. I might from now going forward be a Jacques Rougeau guy. Um, just just generally, I always will talk about, you know, late 80s WWF tag team stuff. So, but, but, but I mean, you know, for the greatness of Jacques Rougeau as a mechanic and a, and a bump taker and a credible guy in the ring, uh, he's not bringing a lot to the ring in, in, you know, 1996 in terms of like excitement or like juice or stuff that's going to get at least an, an American crowd going. Like Booker T really is all the sizzle in that match. They could have done that. Yeah. That's, the, that's what I was trying to say. He is, He's both the sizzle and the stake in every single match. It's real. He is one of the best ever at that, of just being like everything looking good and being spectacular. Yeah, and, and you talked about that great finish spot where they like build the fort, so to speak, in the corner. It's like, eh, imagine the Rougeaus are wrestling the Nasty Boys and they do that spot in a match with the Nasty Boys. Like, who cares? Like I said, it's just another big, meaty WCW mid-90s tag match. But like, Booker makes that match special and makes that finish incredible. I said during the first time we talked about that match, it's maybe one of the best like timed and executed finishes to a tag team match I've ever seen. And tag team matches like usually by the definition of the psychology kind of have to have the best finishes, but like it, it's a, it's a great, great match. And if not for Booker, it's not even a match anybody would care about. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I, I'm going to use sports analogies just because it's he's so special in that transcendent athlete way. It's like if you throw a mistake pitch at young Booker T, that shit is going out of the park. Like he knows the psychology of his athleticism extraordinarily well, and he uses that to his advantage over and over again. He understands that he is a special athlete relative to the people in the ring uh, until you look at like a, a Scott Steiner who we'll get to in a minute, actually uh, he is the best athlete in every single match he's in because he's, he's much closer to a professional athlete than a lot of the guys he's wrestling against. I think now he would fit in much more uh, in terms of athleticism. Uh, he'd be closer to like an Alistair black or something like that. Uh, but I think at this point he is like, on a completely different level athletically than almost anybody he's working with. And it really shows because like you said, he's, he has a lot of sizzle and he can back all of it up. And it, that's what really like, it's, it's great to watch him put it all together. And you see it in matches like this and you really see it in the hog wild match from 1996, uh, which I actually wrote uh, in the notes that uh, it's him carrying Stevie Ray, but watching it, you really do have to give Stevie Ray credit. He's really good at the psychology of what's a really gross crowd. For those who don't know, Hog Wild is uh, at Sturgis, the motorcycle rally in Sturgis uh, in front of a crowd of racists, right? I think we can just call them racists. We don't have to qualify it in any way, right? Uh, yes, a white motorcycle riding racist folks, I think. I, I, I mostly yeah, yeah, with, like, Confederate flags and shit like that. Like, we're not, we're not just like, oh, they're white. Like, real, clearly unhappy with the fact that there are black guys performing in front of them uh, in a way that's, again, makes you uncomfortable because it's a lot of people. They all have motorcycles, and it's just like you're not welcome here vibe. And you see throughout the match that Stevie Ray and Booker T, I don't want to say win them over because they're ignorant racists, but like make them understand that they are here to put on a show and you're going to watch it and you're going to interact with it the way you're fucking supposed to, whether you like it or not, because their talent was so undeniable and the like amount of crowd work they do at the beginning of this match is just awesome. They do such a great job of conditioning the audience so quickly that like we're not here to take your bullshit you're gonna boo us because you hate us not because you're racists and like they really do get that to work by just being great shit heels and booker t 
in this match really shines as someone who is not a fr- like he's I'm sure because uh, at some point Sherry comes over to him and I think kind of like we talked about kind of give gets him to like level out but then she walks over to the other corner and yells at Stevie Ray break his neck it's so great it's like such a great sensational Sherry moment but you can tell Booker T like his he's hyped up because it's a really tense atmosphere but once he gets into the flow of the match it's such a it reminds me a lot it's not at the same level but it reminds me a lot of like the road warrior uh anderson blanchard match that we talked about during the arn anderson episode where it's just this great tag team match that has all the right psychology to get everything to hit the way it's supposed to it's a pretty almost perfectly played song basically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, as you say, I think this, this match is like a a testament to psychology and the wrestlers maintaining control over a hostile crowd rather than giving into them or losing them, which is very clearly a lost art um, in wrestling generally. But I mean, like, so throughout this show, this hog wild show is really unwatchable because of like all this engine revving that's constantly going on on the motorcycles because like they allow people to like, pull their bikes basically like right up. So nobody's really sitting in seats on the floor. They're on their bikes. But during the Harlem heat entrance, the revving is like so much louder than it's been for anything previously on the show. And like, it's really sinister. It's not, it's like, it's like, it's like someone's going to like light the cross any second. Yeah. It's It's deeply uncomfortable. It's not an enjoyable, like, it's really not enjoyable. It's not like funny. It's really uncomfortable. And you're, you start off worrying a little bit because there are people who are like really fucking hyped to have the guys come into the crowd and get their ass kicked. Like it's really, they, you can see it in their eyes and it is, I did not like that part of it, uh, but no, they get when, through it. Even when they first get to the ring, it's like there's Booker and Stevie looking around, and they definitely have once again the like a uh, old timey wrestler of the like, oh man, is this is this the night I'm going to get stabbed? Like they definitely are exchanging those looks yeah. at the beginning of the match. Yeah, it is. It is not. It is not great, Bob. But uh, they really turn it into a, a like a really great match. Just awesome psychology and uh this is actually one of the first uh scott steiner booker t match they kind of they are each other's nemesis throughout their careers in wcw in a way that really feels uh both great and kind of sad that they're the last two left i guess but like especially the way it ends but i think they interweave in each other's careers pretty perfectly Uh, we actually talked about during the fall of wcw if wcw had continued on that would have been the great rivalry around which the second half of the company's like legacy was built uh and this is kind of one of the starts of it obviously they had fought a bunch of times uh to that point but uh the, the This match, uh, the Steiners look great, but really Stevie Ray uh, does a lot of great psychology. He looks like a big, mean, older brother type. And uh, Booker T looks like the like talented uh, – this is really where you get the brother-brother dynamic like really hits. I think it's against them that there's this kind of like – you can see their personalities, like I said, in the way that they're complementary through almost like force and erosion where it's like they fit perfectly together in this match. And them combining with the chemistry of the Steiner brothers makes this like a really – interesting match you don't get to see that level of the brother tag teams are usually either very good or very bad and it's rare you get two brother tag teams at the same time who are working at the highest level and have that like almost twin magic stuff that you could only really get from like i said a lifetime of living with somebody and like growing up with them yeah definitely i mean it's interesting because like at the time like i was saying that they were really kind of the two tag teams of note in wcw at the time and everybody else was kind of eh but even with that you would still say they had a better tag division than the wwf at the time you know what i mean like it, it, yeah that, that just by virtue of having harlan heat and the steiners they had the better tag division uh, uh between the two companies but no i i love it i mean there's a lot of like you said the, the just the good psychology in this match of just knowing the like you we know you guys are are all about the steiners and hate us and want to see them kick our asses and 
we're going to delay that as long as possible each time kind of thing. And, you know, we're going to bring it right to them to make, to, to kind of help build it and stuff. And, and, and as you said, when you kind of intro this match, they take this just like off the charts, scary hostile crowd, like scary through the TV crowd. And, and by the end of the match, it's a wrestling match that these people are just really engaged in. It's like the heat shifts at least to some degree from just being that like pure, like get out of here. We hate you heat to being like, ah, man, they fucked the Steiners heat. You know what I mean? It's a, a, that's the real turn of the match is them being pissed off that they cheat the Steiners at the end of the match with like, is such a great uh, freedom powder spot? Uh, So, they have Parker, they do the, uh, hold it, Booker T is holding back uh, Scott Steiner, and Colonel Parker throws the freedom powder in his face, but of course Scott Steiner ducks, and Booker T gets it in his face, and then Sherry just throws another thing of freedom powder right, powder right in his face, uh, and then, Jesus Christ, Colonel Parker literally breaks a cane in half on Scott Steiner's head and that's the end spot it's so and Bobby Heenan spends the entire time like I can't believe the powder knocked him out like that it's amazing it's such a great ending and they and Bobby Heenan selling of it actually like really makes you like look at the replay and like no that's oh my god did he like totally fucking brains him with the cane it's insane and it's such a good end spot because the crowd literally starts throwing garbage at the like not like a dangerous amount but like enough that you can tell they're actually pissed but like aren't angry they're like wrestling pissed and considering that like a month earlier uh hogan had turned and that was like understood that's how you show you you were pissed it was kind of almost like a compliment it was like the you suck chant of the day. Oh yeah, and, and talk about Stevie Ray's facial expressions from the time they win to the time they get to the back are just like some of the best stuff. Just him just like being the heel who hates the crowd and they just won and but we also need to get to the back before we get killed, but we also won. It, it's really good stuff. Yeah, this is an awesome match. Um I, the match we mentioned earlier, if you can want to go back and watch it, it's a pretty great match. This is an essential match to understand what makes Harlem Heat work well, what makes Sherry work with Harlem Heat well, what makes Booker T like a transcendent talent. And just like how scary that crowd is, is really like you need to feel that shit in your bones because it's really uncomfortable and it should be. It should make you like really think about what the bunch of bikers were trying to imply in that it's it's a great match but it's really also just like a nasty show and like it's a scary show and you it helps you understand in terms of explaining wrestling why they don't do shows like that like it's a really bad idea for a show despite the fact that it looks beautiful it's just like that's not how you a sell tickets and b like it's not a great viewing experience when you're watching it at home because the crowd has too much power and there's, it, it really feels unwieldy and dangerous. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a fair assessment of the entire pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not just this match. I mean, there's a, there's a Rey Mysterio Ultimo dragon match earlier on this card and, and there's a Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko like there, there's certain stuff with when there's when there's kind of non-white performers or like smaller non-main event performers out there. There's a lot of either apathy or aggression from this crowd, and like and and, and not in like the traditional wrestling ways that we use words like apathy and and aggression. It, it just the crowd like dies at certain points in this show, and also is like so fired up that like you said nick it, it makes you really uncomfortable yeah um there's another match uh all kidding aside uh or i guess this is a joke so it's coming folks uh the uncensored tag team match is uh, so we are never going to consider this an essential viewing uh but it is a tag team match with sting and booker t versus the road warriors and if sting and booker t win because sting's partner lex luger is in the 
uh, triple cage of doom or whatever, the doomsday cage, as they call it. Uh, he He's in that match at the end of the show, so Sting has Booker T replace him. Um, and if they win, Booker T and Stevie Ray, Harlem Heat, get a tag team title shot against Sting and Luger. Um, and I said to you, this match is 30 minutes long, about 10 minutes of it is watchable, and about three minutes, minutes of it is good-ish. Uh, he's involved, Booker T is involved in all 10 minutes of watchability and most of the time of the good stuff on TV. Like he, this is another match where you really get to see his like ability to not just be good in everything he does, but also like make things actually watchable. It's like, watching the worst movie you've ever seen and watching one guy in it and be like, you're good in this. I don't, I don't understand. Did you not read the script everybody else had? Or did you like actually try? Like, I don't get why you are actually, every time you're on the screen, I'm like, Oh, thank God. This is actually good. But the rest of it is so bad, but I've watched this match like 10 times. It's, I can't get, like through it logically like how booker t is so watchable in this match relative to what's going on but also he's just like regular good do i sound crazy right now like i'm fascinated by this match <laughs> well i i i know I, I hear what you're saying on a lot of levels because i think one thing that booker t is doing here is like when i watched this match it caused me to ask myself to like think back over wcw and tna and and think who really successfully ever got a rub off Sting? What other young and up-and-coming babyface benefited a lot from, like, standing next to Sting and, like, helping Sting get through a tough moment? And, like, I really thought about it for a long time, and I, I'm sure there must have been someone in TNA, but, like, it was probably Abyss or something. You know what I mean? Like, but it's just wild that, like, for as much as Sting was at the top of the game in WCW for so long. Like he doesn't do a lot of the things that the great wrestlers do. And I think that a, like was Ric Flair in this spot was Brett in this spot. You know what I mean? That, that, that then we would be talking about this as like an actual great match and a moment that like a main eventer kind of, you know, reached down and pulled someone like right up with them. But I think that there, not to say there's anything wrong with Sting, because I know he's someone about whom people are like really passionate. But I think that, especially given the time they had in this match, this match needed there to be more of a story about and like more good action from the veteran Sting. And there needed to be something where we were like, seeing how okay these guys aren't regular partners so they're having a little difficulty but at the same time they have respect for each other and 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 booker's learning something from being in the ring with sting who's been in the main event for 10 years like that part of the match is what's missing but what you do get is just like booker's great fundamentals booker's great bumping ability booker's ability to take everybody's moves so it's like in a situation where Booker should be rubbing off Sting and, and kind of, you know, helping himself with it. It's really like Booker's out there just like really, really doing his best to get over and like Sting is also there. Yeah, I think that it feels disjointed, but you feel as though Booker T is doing nothing outside the rhythm of the game. He is just hitting all of his spots the exact way you're supposed to hit them and doing everything he's supposed to do like a fucking professional. It's one of the most professional. I think that's what it is. It's a very professional performance. He has nobody around him protecting him in the lineup. Nobody like... He is being, like, I, he's so much better than anything around him. And I think that's kind of the story of his career. I guess that's, like, it's a microcosm of his career, I think, this ma this match is. That it's just, like, it is an unwatchable match. There's 20 minutes of, like, actual, some of the worst shit you will ever see. There is one sincerely great spot. It involves Lex Luger beating the shit out of animal i think it is i mean just destroying him for miss uh ruining his flex in the mirror like lex is flexing in the mirror and i think it's animal hits him and he loses his shit and single-handedly like beats animal to 
death. Um, it's amazing. But, like, it's that and all of the shit Booker does in this match that, like, if you... This is a match I would not skip if you're watching this incredibly shitty pay-per-view, but... I wouldn't go out of your way to watch it uh, just because it's 30 minutes of shit. But like, it is the room of like bad matches. Cause you're just like, how if the room also had like Heath Ledger doing the Joker, where it's this like weird idiosyncratic performance that gets over, even if nothing else around it was working at all, like almost intentionally. So because no one gave a shit, like you want to see three people that don't care uh, and have, paint on their face uh this is your the match for you it's like the three dudes with paint on their face they're like oh those guys don't care okay i'll just focus on the one guy that clearly does uh it if that didn't make them realize they had a huge star in booker t they are fucking idiots and like i i think i i don't this is something i actually want to talk about because like booker t is a real star that they really built all the way up in like a Bret Hart kind of way. And I think we often hear that WCW was really bad at like making stars. And I don't think they were bad at making stars. I think they were bad at repackaging guys. Um, there's, uh, I, I was just listening to, what is the 83 weeks? Is that the name of the show? The Bishop show? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about Johnny B. Bad. And he was saying that, like, oh, we can figure out how to repackage Johnny B. Bad. And it's like, he's a boxer. Just make him a boxer. Just do the TKO thing that they did with. And it's like, he, they're really bad at once the gimmick becomes stale, doing anything with it. See the NWO, see Sting, uh, Crow Sting. I don't think they ever went back to regular Sting. Like, they are really bad at that. And they're also really bad at when guys come in, like a Bret Hart repackaging them in a more WCW light, but they're not bad at like actual talent selection, nor are they necessarily bad at building characters up initially. Like if you look at the main event in WWE, it's uh taker Austin Foley and triple H were all guys that came up through the WCW system. And then they were just like, we don't know what the fuck to do with you. I mean, obviously Austin's a little bit different and so is Foley, but like they really were guys that were castaways from WCW and if you look at like Goldberg and you look at Scott Sanders, who's obviously a little bit different, went to Japan, worked in the WWE slash WWF, at least at that time, uh, Booker and, and Diamond Dallas Page, those are four guys. Plus, I mean, you look at Canyon, there's a couple of other guys that are talented that don't get over at that level, but they could make stars. They just couldn't fix things when they went wrong. And I think that's kind of what made Booker T work so well, is that he was really ad- able to adapt to almost any situation they could put him in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that when, back in the time period that we're talking about on The Pod Beyond, uh, famously, uh, Dusty was the big idea guy, the big vision guy, and he was the booker. But then there was also J.J. Dillon, and then later on, to some degree, like Kevin Sullivan as well. And they were like the detail guys who would make sure that there was like the week-to-week maintenance of certain characters, like the stuff that the booker just like, didn't have the juice for, or just like, frankly, didn't have the time for, because he was busy with, you know, the real angles in his own wrestling career and stuff. And like, when you watch some of this period of WCW, it's like, you've got the Vince McMahon or Dusty Rhodes, like, you know, full steam ahead in this direction. This is what I'm feeling right now. So this is what we're going to do. And there's a total lack of that, like, underbooker, like, you know, detail, work and and you mentioned 83 weeks you know bischoff frequently talks about how like he was really uninvolved and creative and like didn't really understand the whole big idea ideas of wrestling creative until pretty late in his stint running wcw and i think that it's evident in that way that that lack of maintenance whereby you know people could could stay strong after they debuted as an intriguing character or could level up in like well-paced logical ways. I just don't think that there was the detail work and the scaffolding. I mean, obviously there was plenty of literal scaffolding because they built the triple cage. Right. (laughs) But I, I don't think that there was the framework in which people could succeed in that way. People could shine in the way that Booker did and they could move up the card in the way Booker did but like I, like I was saying with the the tag match with Sting, it's like every time they're actually trying to book him in a way that quote-unquote helps him, it's like a total miss. Yeah, he's – but I think in spite of all of that, he really does – I think they had 
such a good eye for talent, it transcended their ability to make stars. Like, they are... And it's always been the case, it feels like, that Vince does not have a great eye for talent. He has a great eye for casting. That roster in particular is so, like the early 90s through the late, like through the end of WCW, is a great roster almost the entire time. Even when they keep losing like a main eventers by the bunches, there's still enough talented people that it kept it going, but it just feels like they couldn't figure out how to then take these talented actors and put them in roles that they would succeed in. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think part of it, like I said, was maybe, you know, uh, in part to like a lack of high level understanding for some of the people like at the very top of the structure and then other people being mired in kind of like dated 1980s thinking or stuff that had like worked for them at WrestleMania three brother or whatever, you know what I mean? Like there were a lot of different ways or a lot of different forces that were, that were hampering WCW's ability to, to really do right by their rising talent. It's not like they like did them dirty and, you know, beat them and said racist things about them on TV. It was just literally that they like, for for whatever reason, I guess the booking was never like a Booker is a perfect example of like the booking of Booker was never close yeah. to Booker's physical ability in the ring. Like when you saw Booker wrestle, Booker was like a nine out of ten, but Booker was never really in an angle that was much better than like a five out of ten. Like the famous storyline or like one of the big ones people think of is the the series that he did with that one Canadian wrestler. But like, that's not even like, a, that's like the most basic stripped down sports-based storyline. And we're going to have a bunch of matches to see who's the best. Like they never had that creative push for him that really matched who and what he clearly was and could be. Yeah. And you do see it once they make him into more of a baby face. Cause uh, one of the, uh, the matches I, like I said, I wanted to do a couple of Steiner matches uh, this episode. And the one that uh, caught my eye was the t- TV title match, which he was uh, speaking of the Canadian uh, crippler. <clears throat> he, uh, that television title, he kind of became, it became a situation where he and, and Scott Steiner and a couple of other people really made that title matter again in a way it hadn't in my eyes since like Regal had it. And probably before that, since like Arn or Tully had it, it in a, in the sense that it was a belt that clearly pointed out a talented performer and treated them as though this title was important, both, because they had to work very hard to get this title and they were worthy of the title, which is something that is really hard to balance. We talked about for reasons in the IC title, the way the titles can change over time, but this is a time when it's both a great platform for somebody. And it's also something that is elevated by the person that has the title Uh, because Booker T was such a great talent. It felt like it was his, badge of honor at that point like he was eventually going to be a four-star general but for right now this is like his second star like the tag team titles are the first star this is the second star eventually he'll get to the point where he's going to be a world champion and this really feels like it and especially the match uh like i said uh, uncensored 99 with scott steiner it's a just a great all-around old school meets new school match because they're new skill new school physical talents especially booker but the match itself is structured in a very like 1980s jg dylan match with buff bagwell on the outside constantly getting evolved and the amount of powders that scott steiner takes it just has this rhythm that's very old timey but they pull it off extraordinarily well because they have a really great story that they talk about throughout and they're just really physically compatible performers uh, especially when booker t does shit that allows scott steiner to take like a 10 minute like breather <laughs> or i should say a 10 second breather because he is gassed through like half of this match <laughs> the second scott steiner kind of lost that first step of athleticism that had made him like a real athletic freak. He also simultaneously 
like became one of the great heels. We've said the word psychology too many times in this episode, but from a psychological standpoint, he gained such a high level understanding of what to do, like almost as soon as his body gave out. And like on the pod beyond, we're going to be talking about a like a superstar Billy Graham match from, from way late in his career. And, and this match reminded me of that, like Steiner throughout this, where it's like, you know, you can see just like by the weight, his just the way his weight is distributed at certain points in the match or that, that he's just not physically comfortable at all times. But like the, the way he portrays the character and like you said, the way that Booker creates the movement, so to speak, and the way that, you know, he can hit his spots and only uh, he being Scott Steiner, uh, he can pick his spots and to, to hit the ropes and stuff. It's just like a really, really well put together match where like, it's good psychology and good physicality. And I think when we talk about WCW, a lot of the times that's the balance that they found hard to, to get. Like there was the, you know, the luchador, the, the kind of all work, super fast cruiserweight, you know, you know, uh, world global style underneath. And then at the top, there was like all this old timey eighties wrestling psychology with a lot of, without a lot of athleticism. But like when you got Steiner and Booker in the ring, you really did have that like perfect timeless match of like, here's the exciting athletic baby face and here's like the mean grinder heel. And as you said in this match, they're both clearly so hungry for that title and so hungry to be elevated and get to the next step that it like makes the match and everything that happens in it feel really, really important in a way that throwaway matches in the middle of WCW pay-per-views usually didn't feel important. Booker T's understanding of his character from a physical standpoint kind of reaches its peak at this point because he is just, he hits every spot pretty much super crisply. And he really understands both his like expectations, not expectations, like his abilities and Steiner's limitations in the context of those abilities. So he really puts a little extra into certain things and lays off certain things. It's, two guys that have worked together for years building a, a really good to I think a sincerely great match uh, for what it is. It's like a 13 minute, you know, fun little uh, TV title match. Uh, it really establishes both of them as next level performers that you need to watch out for, not just because of the TV title, but because this story clearly has juice to it it has popped to it there's a real tension between the two styles and the two people and the two personalities they're just perfect against each other especially at this point in that with him playing the superstar billy graham uh him meaning of course uh, scott steiner playing the superstar billy graham role and like you said like an 80s baby face uh we talked about it with kofi we talked about it with like ricky morton and stuff like that that kind of baby face who is really physically talented and really can go, but also is enough of a guy willing to stick up for himself that it's okay if they like do something that's a little like uneven, like not, they don't have to be the superheroes. Booker T uh, using the pin, the, the chair shot that ends the match as the end spot is totally fine because he doesn't do anything. He doesn't swing the chair. He's just like, you're going to do this shit after I should have beaten him five times. I'm just going to take this victory and be ecstatic about it. I'm not going to feel like I cheated the fans in any way. And the fans aren't going to feel cheated because I did everything I could in this match and constantly had to deal with fucking buff Bagwell's bullshit. I just want to be, I'm good at my job. I want to be able to do it without that motherfucker all up in my grill. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the great baby face, as you say, is, is, is persistent and is a good person, but at the same time, a great baby face doesn't take shit from people. And in this match, you can really see that aspect of Booker's character. Like you said, with the constant shenanigans with buff and even with the finish, it's just the like, no, 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 I'm not the candy ass baby face who's going to get distracted and rolled up when they have the match one. I'm not Natalia or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't stand up for this bullshit. I solve problems and get things done and win matches one, two, three. It's like he's a baby face, but he's not like a, 
to, you know, he's not the unlikable, dumb, nice guy, baby face. Like he, he's got a very clear, like, no, I'm not going to take this shit. I'm going to win despite it. And what works great with a finish like that, it is also gives the heel something to, well, I get hit with a chair and it's like, well, didn't your dude hit you with the chair? But they have, they can ignore that part and focus on the, I got hit with a chair. You wouldn't have beat me in a fair match. It actually helps the psychology going forward to not just make yourself look like, like you said, like a candy ass baby face. He's a real character who has real value to the fans and they're really excited to see him win a match especially if he doesn't cheat to win he just doesn't allow the backfire cheating to like he's not going to be like oh well i can't win that way he's like i'm winning this match because this whole thing is bullshit i like i was beating his ass like i would have won 10 minutes ago if not for buff bagwell it's an awesome match it's definitely worth checking out it's pretty short blissfully uh not that i actually can watch i've watched half an hour booker t matches like a bunch of times uh including like i said one of the worst matches i've ever seen and he's amazing in it like awesome 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 match uh you get to see like scott steiner's psychology come into full bloom and you get to see booker t at maybe the height of his powers in terms of his understanding of how to move in a ring and be a ring not a ring general but the baby face in every single minute of that match. He's like a perfect, it's a per, almost perfect baby face performance. Yeah. Great match. I can't say enough about it. This is like, uh, when we were talking about the intercontinental title, you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago. This is just like one of those like solid mid card title, but I don't mean that in a diminishing way. Solid mid card title matches that just reinforces what wrestling at its fundamental levels, is all about. And for every goofy-ass, crazy, out-there main event or every psycho work-rate match on first or second, for every one of those, you need these just, like, this is what pro wrestling is here. Here's here's 10 to 12 minutes of a pro wrestling match. I feel like this is where you throw in the Arrested Development narrator, and it's like it, it didn't end well. Uh, they don't really again know what to do with him and this goes from a really high moment in his career to i swear to the lord jesus gi bro which is actually a reprisal of an old gimmick that he had in the wwa Uh, (laughs) but it's you look at this and you go, you have this awesome baby face, this guy that should be the face of your company, but instead of doing anything with him, you put him in the misfits and action stable, which literally means is like a reference to missing an action because nobody cares about them. It's, it's yet another example of the problems with WCW throughout their history with Booker T in particular, but in general, their inability to like, that's a repackaging that people talk about. Like that's such a shitty, he's Booker fucking T. Like, it's not like people are going to forget he's Booker fucking T. Like it's, this isn't changing somebody's name from Andrade Cien Almas to Andrade. It's changing the character. It's the cheesiest science fiction. I'm actually my brother like i'm actually my twin uh, that guy dead guy's twin brother thing i've ever fucking seen in the history of wrestling it's so bad that shit is some of the lowest stuff that wcw has ever done in terms of just like sheer stupidity nick are you saying that vince russo like wasn't a great booker I hate him, and I hate him almost exclusively for doing this. None of the other, everything else he did was great. You're you're listening to me? Great. This terrible, worst thing ever. No, seriously, I hate Vince Russo. And this is one of the reasons, though I do have to say, he's also the reason Booker T ends up being world champ, because Booker T, because Russo gets pissed off at Hogan and decides he's going to put the title on Booker T. I mean, that's not how it works out. That is not the textual story. That's the, like, extra textual story. Uh, but they have a match. So we've talked about this before, also in the fall of WCW uh, show. So at Match of the Beach 2000, uh, Booker T has a match against Positively Canyon. Uh, normal match, totally good. And then... After that, there is a Hogan-Jeff Jarrett match where Jeff Jarrett lies down in the middle of the ring for Hogan to 
like put his phone on him and pin him because the basically the story is that uh, he's a conniving fucking uh, politicker. He can't be trusted. He should go fuck himself. Basically, is the storyline. Uh, Rusev, uh, Rusev, Russo comes out and says this. Uh, that eventually leads to a lawsuit, but before that lawsuit commences, uh, there is a match between Jeff Jarrett and Booker T at the end of this show. And, you know, Dave, we love Jeff Jarrett here, right? Oh, of course. I mean, I, I think that until recently when it became the consensus that Jeff Jarrett is great, we were really, you know, two, we were early adopters on the Jeff Jarrett uh, curve. Yeah, he's super great. This is a really not great performance from him. He doesn't seem like he cares. And I don't think it's because he doesn't want to lose to Booker T. I don't think he cares about that. He's lost to everybody. I think he's just so emotionally drained from what he had to do in the ring with Hogan that it's just his heart isn't in it. I almost feel... I don't want to make excuses for him and be like, oh, it's okay. Like, he should have still put a little bit more effort into this match. But, like, that's a weird mental space to be in. And I can totally get why this is match. It's something you should see because you should watch this pay-per-view because it's fucking trippy. It, like, breaks the fourth wall and then, like, reorients the entire show around you looking at the fourth wall and, like, using that to reflect the show you're watching. It's fucking, like, acid trippy. But this match at the end is pretty anticlimactic, except for the fact that the crowd loses their shit when Booker T wins. They This match, like, builds okay. Uh, he, he can't keep Jeff Jarrett down, but Jeff Jarrett's, like, not doing that much in this match. Uh, and then he finally gets Jeff Jarrett uh, for the three count, and the crowd, like I said, loses their shit. But, like, overall, it's a pretty boring match, I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, it basically feels like a TV match or like, I guess, like a match that maybe if, you know, if everything really is what they say it is, that if, you know, if they only had a few minutes knowing that this is what they were going to do, you know what I mean? It, it kind of did feel like that match. And I, I agree, it's not Jarrett's best performance. And I, I hate to make any comparison to this, but this almost reminds me of like some of the matches that were on like Over the Edge after Owen Hart died or like the whole tenor of the victory road match between like uh, Jeff Hardy and sting where there's just like this unease in the ring. Like even with the wrestlers of like, it seems like not entirely sure what's going on, but this is what our boss told us to come out here and do. And we're going to do it, but I don't really know like who I trust. Like it's almost like Jeff Jarrett is literally like looking over his shoulder during this Mm -hmm. match and stuff very much. You know what I mean? Like it seems like, he is not fully mentally present. And I guess for good reason, giving all the crazy ass shit that was allegedly going on backstage. But the, I, the, the great Jeff Jarrett maybe was not as mentally present as he could have been. But I guess at the end of the day, the thing is, like you said, right, it's like the old, uh, I think it was Terry Taylor who says it. The, the only pop that actually matters is the finish. And the finish got a huge fucking pop. Yeah, it's, and it's not Jeff Jarrett, like, like I said, it doesn't seem like he's like pissed at Booker. He's just going through the motions of the match and doing his job and doing it too professionally almost. It's it's a disappointing match just because I think Booker T and Jeff Jarrett had real chemistry and could have put on a really great match that could have stolen the show from the incredibly shit the, shitty thing that happened. And especially if you put it in the context of them having to plan the match like in 20 minutes, tops 20 minutes, it's a totally serviceable match. But there is this definitely, there's this definite it feels like they're giving Booker T the title because they don't have a better idea. And I think that's again, something that like, that should not have been the case. He should have been world champion for a very long time. He's an incredibly talented performer. You've had in your company for a decade. You can trust him to bring you to that next level. And it felt like they never did. And then they have him win at, uh, at the last Nitro, uh, which I called Bashed at the Beach because it takes place, uh, and it's actually a nice full circle with the Hog Wild match, it takes place basically in the middle of a pool uh, on in a wrestling ring, and it's surrounded by spring breakers. And it's a okay match, but it's really clear at this point both that Scott Steiner has completely went round the bend in terms of his physical capabilities, B, that even if he hadn't, he would have not tried that hard during the match. And and 
the last bit is that like Booker T, it's just let's get Booker T to get all of his shit in match. But here's the thing: all of Booker T's shit is great. So I actually really enjoyed this match as like a bite-sized Booker T showcase. Like if they were trying to position him as the best, the standard bearer for WCW going forward, I think this match actually does a good job of it, of just being like, no, he's the best guy that we had in our company. And this is kind of our way of honoring that. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's almost like if there was a future for WCW, he would be it. But I agree. I think just generally it's a it's a really strong TV match. And, and unlike yes. the last one where I said that, like, you know, it seems like maybe some of the emotions or the confusion of the weird backstage politics of the moment affected it. I don't think that was the case here. This seemed like two guys, like, obviously Booker knew that WWE must like him kind of thing. And, and you know, maybe was trying definitely seemed like he was definitely trying to be out there and looking good and scott steiner either was hoping to get a job or was just saying you know fuck it i'm gonna go out there and, and do it just do it to show everybody who i really am and stuff but if you watch that last nitro there's some stuff that doesn't really pop it's almost like it's like when you're it's like if you were watching a movie in the theater and the lights were on kind of thing like they just it doesn't have that same feel but like this match when you watch that final nitro maybe even more than like flair and sting this match, you're, like, still engaged. It's like, yeah, this is pro wrestling. This is WCW. This is fucking Booker T and Scott Steiner. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very fun match. It's definitely worth checking out. It's super short, and it's a great Booker T showcase. Uh, and I think it's kind of the pinnacle of his career in many ways. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we'll get into why tomorrow. Now that we've solved the equation of uh, X plus Booker T equals WCW, I don't know how that would work because I'm really bad at algebra, but it the math checks out, I swear. Uh, I guess my question for you is this. Uh, Booker T, would I be crazy to make him the all-time number one draft pick if I were starting a company uh, from the post-Jim Crockett era? Like, you have their career from Jim Crockett leaving and WCW becoming a Turner property forward uh where do you have booker t and your like overall roster of like prospects yeah i mean i think in terms of people who debuted after that and and who they kind of nurtured along the way and, and really tried to turn into something special who was a talent who who really deserved it kind of thing like yeah i think you'd be hard pressed to choose someone different um if you're talking about extending the careers like you know rick flair's whatever 1988 to 2000 Huh. I'm really trying to think. I mean, obviously, like, Flair was more over consistently during that span and was in more main events and stuff. But, like, in terms of just someone who was always trending up in WCW, he's maybe a, a singular person in history. Yeah, it's you have – because he also has the – for me, the difference between him and, let's say, Goldberg, who I think would be another top choice, is Goldberg wasn't a quarter of the wrestler that – Booker T was and Booker T was maybe not every bit the athlete that Bill Goldberg was but he was close enough that you could get by and I think it's a better promo I think Booker T if you we'll get into this tomorrow Booker T is one of both the most accomplished people in the history of the business and one of the most underutilized talents I can think of uh and I, I, I don't know how else to put like that's really how I feel about him is that he's both one of the best ever already and he could have been the all-time greatest if he would have just been given the chances that a lot of other guys that were less talented and I don't think it was just race I think especially in, WC, in WWE it was also the fact that he was in WCW and he wasn't somebody's famous son like there are other things that are involved in that, but I think if you look at WCW, it was just such a shit show, and in WWE there was other mitigating factors. But I do think that like he was misused, despite the fact that he was so transcendently great. He ended up having one of the great careers in the history of the business. Amen. Yeah. Um, so, did you have anything to plug? Oh, just as usual, people can follow me on Twitter at Dave Writes Junk. You'll get all the junk dropped directly from my brain right there. Uh, you should also follow the Wrestling Estate, where uh, some of the things that I think about wrestling also appear. A lot of really, really great 
uh, stuff uh, to help you get ready for WrestleMania over there right now. We've got a preview roundtable going up. We've got some like all-time WrestleMania retrospective. We've got some, you know, all-time Hall of Fame stuff, some some info about the new inductees, all sorts of, you know, all the all the, the priming materials that you need to shove into your brain for WrestleMania can be found at the Wrestling Estate. So definitely check that out. That's beautiful. Uh, you can check me out at the Nixer, that's T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-R. You can check us out at HowWrestlingExplains.Podbean.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes, I think. Yeah, I think I got all of them. Uh, and don't forget to follow HWETW Pod on Twitter. Uh, no time for podcast this this week, Dave. We have some The Pod Beyond to be podding beyond in a second. Good use of uh, prepositions.